Welcome to Thrive Lathrop Podcast. Here at our church, we believe that everyone can thrive. Make sure to subscribe to our channel and enjoy this life-changing message. Amen. Amen. Welcome, family. I hope that you're having a great Sunday. And the 12 people in the room, go wild. Yes. Yep. Uh, We have a few people here this morning, mostly staff, that are making sure things go okay and uh, that I'm not... I don't get distracted. So for all of you at home, um, happy Sunday to you. Thank you for joining us. If you are a first-time visitor to our Thrive Online campus, um, we welcome you. I hope that you've enjoyed the service thus far, and I hope that the message is an encouragement to you. We are um, online only today. However, um, glory to God that it appears that numbers are starting to come down. Um, We're seeing key indicators begin to drop, some of them significantly. Um, We're not going to be presumptuous, but we're going to pray that that continues. Um, In fact, here in our 21 days of prayer, today's prayer focus is actually healing for those with COVID. And and we have some church family members that we know um, have been afflicted by COVID. Um, Just early this morning, um, we did lose a dear sister, um, Sister Stacy Fernbrook's mother passed away. We're praying for the Fernbrook family. Um, that, that makes three of our dear elderly saints that have um, gone to be with the Lord um, in part because of COVID. And so we're going to pray for those that are still afflicted, those that are in hospital or at home um, struggling. And so we're going to pray for healing, not just for our church family, but our loved ones, our neighbors, our city, our nation, the world. Um, but, but I do want to thank God that, that generally the numbers are declining. So with that being said, as long as we don't see another spike this week, we will be back offering an in-person service next Sunday. Um, and so if you are comfortable returning to in-person next Sunday, the 31st, we will be back here. We will be following our protocols, mask protocols, social distancing protocols, temperature checks at the door, um, because we want to make sure that we're doing everything we can to stay safe. If you are elderly or have pre-existing conditions, please stay home for just a little bit longer. We're, we're going to make it. We're getting through this. Um, if you have any symptoms, don't be showing up. Uh, stay home. Don't just say it's allergies. Just take, take be careful. Let's be careful during this time. Um, but for those who are comfortable, we'll be back uh, in person. Look for details this week um, online. But before we go to the message, I would like to pray as we are in our 14th day of 21 days of prayer. And thank you for joining us in prayer. Um, maybe you've prayed every day. Maybe you've prayed a few days. Uh, maybe you're just hearing about this. You can join us for the next seven. In fact, next Sunday at five o'clock, um, in person and online, we will have a devotion night. You heard about that to crown our 21 days of prayer. That's an hour of prayer and worship corporately. But I'd like to pray for the word, but also for those um, who are today struggling with this terrible disease. Heavenly Father, we thank you because you are the healer of our souls. And we have lost, Lord, three dear sisters. But we thank you, Father, that we know they're with you. You have made them whole. They no longer suffer with anything. They no longer struggle with anything. They're in your presence. Thank you for that blessed hope that we have because they knew you as their Savior. For those, Lord, today that are afflicted with COVID-19, 
Specifically, we pray, Father, that you would clear those lungs and that you would uh, eliminate the symptoms, that you would eradicate that virus from them. Lord, for our medical workers, Lord, even those that are, are thrivers but, but work in the medical field, we pray for your protection and your uh, wisdom and discernment for them, how to treat, Lord, those that are afflicted. We pray, Father God, that you would reveal yourself to every person and every family during this time that you are good and that you are with them. We pray for healing in Jesus' name. And Lord, as we go to the word, I pray we would be teachable as children. Let each one of us bend our knee to the word. Let us submit ourselves to your truth so we can be more like you and so it can go well for us that we might give you glory. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, amen. As you turn in your Bibles, we'll be in uh, the book of Joshua. We're continuing our sermon series um, in the book of Joshua entitled Heart and Soul. We'll be in Joshua chapter five. Um, and um, just wanna kind of uh, remind us why we are in heart and soul. So, so that's our sermon series title. We'll actually be speaking to heart and soul for most of 2021, we believe. Um, and the idea is to go to the book of Joshua and study what it means to be a new leader in a new day for a new, a new place. We as Christians have been called to the priesthood of believers. So there is inherent in the child of God is a leadership role. Every son and daughter of Jesus Christ has been called to a leadership role. And I believe that in this hour, we can learn a lot from how Joshua led. He was a new leader in a new day, in a new place. And we are, I believe, called to help lead people closer to Christ. We're called to lead our families. We're called to be influencers. One of the key definitions of a leader is one who influences. If, if you remember junior high, your teacher might have been, you know, the adult, but some other 13-year-old was in charge of the room. Can I get a witness? Remember that 12-year-old, that crazy kid, and no matter how hard, how old, how educated, how prepared, no matter the title of your professor, your teacher, at the front of the room, it was some 11-year-old who came ready to have fun, and that little boy or little girl led the day. Leadership isn't the title, leadership is influence. And God has called the people of God to be the greatest influencers on the planet, and we're to influence today Crazy town, right? So many things going in so many different directions, many of which we don't like. But God has called us for this hour to lead, to lead people, to lead our families, to lead our neighborhoods, to lead our workplaces in a certain direction. And it doesn't matter if someone's been there longer, has a higher position. God has called you and beyond your natural influence. He supernaturally empowers you to impact your surroundings. That's his anointing. That's the presence of God on your life. And so what we want to do is to lead in the likeness of Jesus. We want to lead not half like him and half like us, not on a good day when we, you know, carved out 10 minutes to pray 
and then, and then do that well, and then on a bad day, just get out all grumpy and kind of fire off social media posts or emails all recklessly and randomly. We want to submit ourselves to the leadership of Christ so that we can lead like him. And so we want, in order to do that, we've got to be devoted to Christ, this is really important, heart and soul. Heart and soul. Heart is that place in us that is the seat of passion and, and emotion and conviction. It, it's, that, it's, it's our moral constitution. It's that, it's that um, decision-making seat. And our soul is that part of us that, is, that, that, that lives forever. It's the very essence. When you, you boil us down, we are made with a soul that will live with God forever. We are to serve him heart and soul with everything fundamentally that we are. We're to serve him, heart and soul. So we want to encourage you, family, if you want a message that'll kind of say, well, do your thing and it'll be okay, we're not the place. We, we are a people of the book, of the word, and it's very, very clear that we need to submit ourselves to his leadership so that we can be useful in his hands. Now, we, we've been t- walking through Joshua. We're in Joshua chapter five now. Just to recap, Joshua chapter four, last week's message, if you missed it, you can find it on YouTube, probably on Facebook too. But we spoke about the need for pace setters. So again, the spirit of leadership, that we need to be pace setters in this life. Now, they have just experienced a miracle. God has just parted the Jordan. They have walked across and they're now in the promised land. This is the scene. And then God meets them. And we're going to read through Joshua chapter five. But God meets them and gives them a very specific responsibility. And the fundamental element of this action, we're going to read it in just a moment, is consecration. The title of the message today is Consecration is the way forward. Consecration is the way forward. We must capture in our souls and in our hearts this idea that if I want to progress in my life, I need to consecrate my life. Now, what's consecration? Consecration is when you, is the act um, of making or declaring something as sacred, and something sacred is something that's been dedicated to worship God. So consecration is the act of declaring or making something sacred, and something sacred is something that is set apart to worship God. Scripture teaches us that we are to consecrate ourselves, that we're to take the elements of our lives and make them and declare them sacred, meaning every, someone say every, every part of your life is meant to worship God. There is no compartmentality. There is no compart, that's, that's a hard word for me today. There's no putting things in compartments in your life. There's no dividing parts of your life, two for me, two for God, one for me, remember you used to do that with your little brother and sister when you're dividing candy? Two for me, one for you. You ever do that? Three for me, two for you. We can't do that with God. We're just worship, serve, live, 
exalt him heart and soul. Every part of us consecrated because every part of you is intended to worship, honor, exalt, celebrate God. Friend, you're running in circles like the Israelites in the desert. Maybe you need to stop running in circles. Stop and consecrate your life again. There's a reason we can spend too much time or parts of our life can spend too much time in circles, circles of debt, circles of, of, of abusing our own bodies with alcohol or, 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 or food or drugs. It, it, it's the, the, the wandering of relationship deserts. It's the wandering of, of, of professional deserts. Never thinking that our careers were also meant to glorify God. Instead, we look at them as a means to an end, a means to simply surviving or getting ahead or, or gaining a reputation or gaining value. Instead, God has called you to work for his glory. And if we stop and say, God, I'm tired of the desert of my marriage or the desert of my finances or the desert of my past or the desert of my workplace, I want to consecrate it to you. That is the first step forward. It's the key to us moving forward. It isn't making promises. It isn't saying the same vows we've said year after year. It isn't just showing up to a group or to a service. It's a positioning of our lives. It's saying every part of me. I got 1,100 parts of me, God. I want all 1,100 to be consecrated for you and unto you. Friend, that's your way forward. That's your way to advance. You want peace in your finances, consecrate them. You want peace to start working its way through your marriage, consecrate it. This was the first thing God did. The first act he had Joshua and Israel do was consecrate themselves, check this out, just as they crossed in the promised land. It wasn't start practicing how to fight. It wasn't sharpen your swords. It wasn't renew your spears. It wasn't hammer out some new shields. It was consecrate yourself. You want to move forward? You want to leave the desert mentality, the desert affections, the desert appetites? You want to stop walking in circles? Consecrate yourself to the Lord. And let me tell you this. This is not, some of you probably already get nervous. This is not about legalese and God is going to condemn you and God is this, you know, uh, arbitrary judge who simply wants you to jump through hoops. Consecration is the natural response to God's love. This is not an act simply of duty, although there's nothing wrong with duty. It's not simply an act of obedience, although there's nothing wrong with obedience. This is an act of love. God, you've loved me. You revealed yourself to me. You picked me up when I was at my worst. You washed all of my sins away. When everyone else was embarrassed of me, you ran toward me. When everyone else rejected me, you accepted me. Even when I knew better, you forgave me. The natural response to the love of God is to say, you've given me all of you. I want to give you all of me. It's just love. Someone say just love. It's just love. 
It's natural when the almighty, pure, all-knowing, omniscient, uh, immutable, incomprehensible God of the universe loves you, picks you up, dies for us, the natural response, the natural response should be to commit all of us to him. This is for, for my, my loving Thrive family who's wandered in circles. This is more than feelings. This is more than wishing. This is more than religion. This is more than sentiment. This has to be lived out. We have to act out our consecration. Joshua chapter five, verse nine, and we're gonna go through several verses in just a, here today, but Joshua chapter five, verse nine. This is what God is doing for the people of Israel. It says, then the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. First thing I wanna share with you in part two is this. God's will is to restore you. God's will is to restore you. God tells Joshua and the people, he says, today, this is a day, I am taking the reproach, the punishment, the, the uh, incarceration, the fear, the, 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 the uh, context you have lived in, what you have known in terms of dominating you, afflicting you, enslaving you, the reason that you were where your, where your family was for generations, I am now going to remove that and restore my covenant to you. God is in the business of restoring us. Now, it's very important that, that we understand restoration doesn't mean he goes and he takes what you, exactly what you lost and gives it to you. That's not the restoration that I would speak to. God in his sovereignty might choose, okay, you, you, you lost that particular job. I'm gonna bring it back to you. You were foolish with that job. I'm gonna give you that exact same job back. But more often than not, restoration doesn't mean getting the exact same thing you lost, but rather whatever's missing in your life, he makes whole. He makes you complete. He satisfies that part of your life. And if you will be a consecrated one, and if you remain in an attitude and posture of consecration for any period of time, you will discover that the things you have lost, you may not have ever should have had. And he doesn't replace it with the same kind of person or the same kind of thing or the same kind of work pace or the, the, the same kind of work context. He gives you what he designed for you all along. He is so much better at making us whole than we are. Sometimes we'll just grab at anything that's close to try to make ourselves whole. And God's saying, you're just replacing something wrong for something wronger. That's not a word, but we'll just pretend. Stop chasing the restoration and start chasing the one who restores. 
Don't consecrate or dedicate yourself to the thing that you most want. Consecrate and dedicate yourself to the one who knows exactly what is best for you. That's the restoration God wants to do. He wants to restore you, your peace of mind, your sense of dignity. He wants to restore your sleep. He wants to restore your joy. He, maybe someone watching today has never had, can't remember the last time they had any peace or joy. Well, God wants to restore the peace and joy he created you to enjoy. Takes consecration though. Consecration ultimately is this understanding. It's this knowledge of the Lord. It's not, it's not just a vibe or a feeling. It's this knowledge of the Lord that, that, that he is so perfect and good, I can trust him with the most sensitive parts of me. He's all-knowing. He knows best. He's perfect, so he's never late. He's good, so he never gives me something that I shouldn't have. The idea of consecration is this knowledge. It's when the light finally goes on. I'm done being my own God. I submit every part of myself to him. See, God is working, isn't he? He's working. He's working in you. And when God begins to move, I want to remind you as a pastor, because I've seen this too many times, when God begins to move, don't, get cre don't take credit, get consecrated. Don't take credit. I've, I've known too many people that, man, they come from the, a mess, a mess, because I know their story, because I'm a pastor, and they'll share everything with me. They'll share with me the betrayals, and they'll share with me the addictions, and they'll share with me the shame, and God picks them up and restores them as they consecrate themselves to him. And suddenly they start to get jobs they should have never had. And they start to get loans they never qualified for before. And, and their, their, their marriage gets stable and their children become obedient. And they stop remembering it was God and they start believing it was them. They finally got their stuff together. No, they didn't. Why did it suddenly at 46 that they learned how to pull themselves together when for 46 years they were an outright mess? It was God who began to pull the strands together. It was God that began to straighten things out that needed straightening out. It was God that needed to intervene so that they didn't feel the full weight of, the, of their sin. God protected. God defended. Why? They were in relationship with him. They weren't perfect. None of us were perfect, but they were learning and they were trusting and they were, and they were obeying. And then their eyes are off of him. Joshua chapter five, verse one and two, it says, now when all the Amorite kings had heard, uh, kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan, right? Remember chapter four, before the Israelites until they'd crossed over, their hearts melted in fear and they long, no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. Now that they were experiencing the grace of God and were in the uh, 
promised land, God reinstituted the practice of circumcision. Now, you got to go to Genesis chapter 17. When God calls Abraham at an old age, he's 99, and Sarah is 90. They've never had children. God meets with Abraham and says, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. I am making a covenant with you. And your sign of covenant back, someone say covenant, is going to be circumcision. Now, what happens later is, and if you read the story, Genesis chapter 15, Genesis chapter 17, uh, Sarah laughs because she can't believe his wife, Abraham's wife, Sarah laughs. She can't believe that they're going to have kids. They're already old and, and that, that time is gone. Well, lo and behold, God gives them a son, and the act of circumcision for the Old Testament Jews was this external sign of a covenant with God. And it was a reminder, this is really important, it was a, a reminder that without God, there'd be no nation of Israel. Abraham and Sarah had no shot of having children, much less being the mother and father of the nation of Israel, if not for divine intervention. You following me? Family, the reason why you're productive is divine intervention. For some of us, the only reason why we're alive today is divine intervention. If God had not come through, we would not be here today. And so God says, I let your previous generation who didn't get it, I let them wander around in the desert, but I am renewing my covenant with you. And so you now are to renew your covenant with me. So instead of taking credit, and I've even heard Christians brag, okay, this is really, I'm gonna go there. I've heard Christians brag about their quote unquote favor. It's one thing to thank God about his undeserved favor. It's a whole other thing for a Christian to act like they actually have earned God's favor. Like they can get away with things. There's this mischievous tone in their voice and they say, favor ain't fair. And I think you are testing the Lord. Where is the humility? Where is the abandonment to praise? Joshua heard from God and God wanted to make sure you always remember it wasn't your, uh, anything that had to do with you why I caused the Jordan to part. You didn't do anything for the waters to part. There was nothing in you that could deliver you except I came through for you. Friend, when God begins to move, and I know he's beginning to move, stay humble. Stay consecrated. Don't fall for the temptation of the enemy to take credit. Give God the glory alone. A wise man stays humble. A powerful woman stays humble. If you're a gifted athlete, stay humble. If you have the capacity to make money, stay humble. If God promotes you, stay humble. It is God's intervention. Meeting you where you are. Take a minute 
close your office door, turn off the light, get on your knees behind your desk and thank God for his provision and consecrate yourself again. Don't let a seed, a root of pride or arrogance have anything to do with your heart. Stay humble, stay a servant because it's God who elevates and it's God who sets down. When God begins to move, Renew your covenant. Don't take credit. Number three, consecration. I want to just remind you is not inherited. You must submit yourself to the process. Consecration is not inherited. You must submit yourself to the process. Verses four and five. Now this is why he did so. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age died in the wilderness on the way after leaving Egypt. Verse five. All the people that came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness during the journey from Egypt had not. We have to decide for ourselves to be consecrated. When I was a kid, I'd hear sermons about Jesus coming back for his church and he'll come in the twinkling of an eye. And if you aren't ready, you're gonna be left behind. And I believe that's true. But as a kid, the way I kind of coped with it, it wasn't, about consecrating myself. I just wanted to make sure I was close to my mother so that if I hear a trumpet sound, I could grab her skirt. And if she goes up, I go up. And she sure better be ready when the trumpet sounds. I didn't think about my response. I was a child. That's how kids think. But can I just tell you that no one can bequeath their consecration to you. If your grandma was a saint, praise the Lord for her but you have got to walk holy. No one passes that on to us. You don't get it by simply being in a building. You don't get it by simply being in a Thrive group. Those things help. But you don't get it just from that. There are going to be actions, well, there are going to be decisions that require action that you are going to have to make the right choices in order to consecrate yourself to him in order to declare and make those parts of your life holy, sacred, dedicating them to bring glory to God. I'm going to end quickly. Number four is that true consecration is lived out, is lived out. Verse six, the Israelites had moved about in the wilderness 40 years until all the men who were of military age when they left Egypt had died since they had not obeyed the Lord. I, I just, I just want to share this with you. We need, to, we need to learn, believe, and act. Some folks make decisions because they don't know any better. One of the joys of pastoring is watching people grow in their relationship with Christ. And some things we can catch quickly and some things we don't. And it's really interesting to watch believers kind of work out the way they used to do life, the way they used to kind of take care of themselves and work into that mindset the new direction, their new practices, the new ways. So I wanted to say this. We need to learn. We need to learn. We need to read our Bibles. We need to be with, in a small group. Uh, even if it means being on Zoom, if you listen to a sermon, take notes and reread the passages of Scripture. Hosea chapter 4, verse 6 says, My people are destroyed for lack 
of knowledge. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 says, uh, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. The first thing we need to have is a hunger to learn, to learn what the word says about how we're to, to live. The second thing we're to do is to believe. Not to believe, not to simply believe it, but to trust it, to trust the word, to trust the knowledge that he's giving you. And then we have to act. Chapter, uh, Matthew chapter seven, verse 24, at the end of Christ's message on the Sermon on the Mount, he says, therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. We need to learn, be a student. We need to believe in, in terms of trusting and we need to act on it. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 through 13 and verse 16 says, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your, what does it say there? Heart and with all your soul. And to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. Verse 16, circumcise your hearts therefore and do not be stiff-necked or stubborn any longer. The, 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 the reality was what God wanted was a heart that was transformed. I'll, I'll end with this. Uh, we know the story, uh, maybe you grew up learning the story of the tortoise and the hare, right? The tortoise and the hare, the, the turtle and the hare, the rabbit. Those are fancy words for the turtle and the rabbit. And it's all about a race, right? The tortoise and the hare, they're, on, they're, they're in a race. And uh, the story goes, the, 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 the rabbit takes off because it's fast and the tortoise starts walking and uh, the rabbit looks back after a while and realizes, man, he can't even see the tortoise anymore. So the hare decides he's going to take a nap and he sleeps too long and the tortoise makes its way and finishes, crosses the finish line before the rabbit could realize that he had lost the race. Many people have concluded from that, that uh, story uh, is slow and steady wins the race, right? Slow and steady wins the race. But can I tell you, I think we might learn more from the rabbit than the turtle. The rabbit, the hare should have won but you don't win till you finish. He took it easy. He stopped acting how he was supposed to. And he decided, he took it, he decided he'd already, he'd already gone far enough. He'd already created enough distance that his adversary didn't have a chance. And he began to take it easy and to sleep. I think we can learn more from the rabbit than the turtle. Family, God has equipped you to run as a pace setter. But we have to continue to act out this consecration. We can't take time off. You can't take a part of your life and say, not this week, not this time. When we start to slumber, scriptures are clear, pride comes before the fall. We have got to stay diligent in living out 
our consecration. I'm going to end the message here. I want to thank you, family, for being here with us today. Thank you again for tuning into our podcast. For more info, please visit our website at thrivelathrop.com. Have an amazing rest of your week.